the Lord Jesus Christ warned us about temptation in today's Gospels. Name the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I spoke to you last week about the Gospel of Matthew and uh, specifically about Jesus um, mentioning the commandments and, of course, later the Beatitudes and, of course, the precepts of the church. Now, I'm not a big um, person upon law, but it's necessary so that we can have an orderly life. And so things, some things we do in the church are our precepts, and the things, uh, other things we do for our own discipline, for our spiritual development. <clears throat> and we talked about last week Jesus going out to pray at night, keeping vigils. And we think about him and his life as he was developing, which we know nothing about. It's his hidden life. Why it's so hidden is that uh, the Gospels were written by the apostolic authorities, the the preachers of the early church, the 12 apostles, early deacons, early bishops gathered. They, They gave us the most uh, summary, of so, not a summary of his life, but a summary of his teachings. But I always wondered about the, the hidden life of Jesus Christ. Now, there are books around it, but I don't think they're credible. There might be some reflections in the fathers that were, are credible. <clears throat> I remember I was at a conference in England I think I've told you this before. And uh, they said there was no Mariology in the early church. That really ticked me. And I stood up and said, have you never heard of Irenaeus of Leon and his writings about the Blessed Virgin Mary? Have you never noticed that at Pentecost, she's in their midst? When people paint Pentecost in their religious art, they don't put her there. It says in the Acts, she's in their midst. Have you never read, read the Gospel of Luke? She probably taught him a lot because she's so involved with Christ and his birth. That's like a mother. You know, if you watch the educated women, they get together. Sooner or later, they talk about all their labor pains. But she didn't tell us about that because she had none. But she did mention the, the infancy, and we have a great feast day, Christmas, and advanced in age and wisdom is in the gospel. As you go up the back stairs of the monastery, uh, there's an icon there. It's on the steps. It's called Machanya, which in Slavonic means uh, quiet. And it's there to remind the monks that when they go up the steps to the cloister, they should not be visiting with each other. It should be quiet. 
and uh, the meditation, prayer, and sleep goes on there, and reading, not other things. At the end of that, there's a library there, too, where there's books for them to uh, look at, and I usually assign the books. Now, Mochanya is quiet. This, I finally got to the topic for today. Quiet. Sometimes I have a lot of visitors at the monastery, and the monks are not happy with that. Uh, it's necessary. We have to make a living. And uh, but I'm so happy with them that they appreciate the quiet in their lives. What can happen to you from quiet is you can mature in Christ. Like in the quiet of his life, he matured to be a, a young man of 30 and started to preach the gospel. Do you think his life when he was growing up, all we know is that he was obedient to his parents, but I'm sure he was obedient to his father in heaven. And I'm sure he spent many quiet times praying because he gives us an example of that of in the gospel. He went out and he had trouble with his disciples because they were sleepy and they were noisy, and he says, will you not watch with me one hour? Will you not pray with me one hour? Uh, in the monastery, we do not use models of contemplation. They're mostly Western. We use, uh, I call it pondering. And I invite them to do their spiritual reading and they set still and remember Jesus' words, know that I am God. They sit there, <coughs> ponder their spiritual reading or whatever holy thoughts they have or the liturgy they experience that day and spend at least an hour a day at that with their spiritual reading. Why do I insist on that? It's because it gives them a formation in their heart to think about Christ, to know that Christ is with them, and that the mind of Christ should be in them, as the gospel says. Now, you know, I go downtown sometimes to shop. It's sort of a burden, but <laughs> last week was pretty bad. It was 82. I didn't like it, but, but they sort of take care of me. They put me in the car with the air conditioning, and they get me something to drink, put on classical music, and get, say, do you have a book to read? So they know how to control me pretty well. And I tell them to go into the stores and shop themselves. Once in a while, I go and I'll push the cart because I need exercise. And uh, those times, 
are good times for me. Uh, they should never be uh, without holy thoughts. Now, why is that? Because without holy thoughts, our passions take over and our mind wanders to put certain things we should never think about at all. When those things happen, we become grumpy and we're hard to live with. <coughs> so in the monastery, I'm the abbot by the will of the, of the bishop. And how do I know the monks are okay? How do I know you are okay? You tell me all the time about it. The way you act, the way you talk, the way you pick up things and the work you do. Your body language gives away what's going on in your soul. Priests are like that too. Things aren't going well in the parish. They pretty well act that out. Things are going away, they're happier. In the monastery, we're all happier if things are going well. How can we ensure things are going to go well? By pondering, reading the holy books, learning the scriptures, falling in love with the beauty of our faith. It's a great gift to us. And it's the journey towards the heavenly kingdom. But the kingdom starts here on earth by the way we direct our lives. And Christ has given us free will, but he's told us how to live that free will. I've even had candidates for, for monks that told me they wanted to make their own decisions. I politely told them, you don't belong here. Christ and the abbess making your decisions because he's trying to form something in you, the presence of Christ. The presence of Christ is thrilling. The presence of Christ is consoling. The presence of Christ leads us on our pilgrimage, on our journey. Sometimes, I was talking to Father about the celebration of liturgy, the divine liturgy, the Eucharist. And I said, you know, it's always not perfect. But one, some days the liturgy just goes smoothly and perfectly. It's beautiful and it's a wonderful day. So I always say, a day without sunshine it's not a nice day for us. It's like a day without prayer. It's not a nice day for us. The sunshine of our souls is prayer, meditation, holy reading. Then you can keep those things that the Jesus Christ has told you in Matthew, the Ten Commandments. And so today it said in the Gospel that the old law is dead. Well, 
I don't think we always needed all those laws, but some people do because they will not be good without them. You have to scare the, the hell out of them. You have to scare them with hell and everything else to try to get them to do the proper thing. But for the lover of Christ, that's not necessary. He's already sad. He's already depressed if he does something against God's will. That's why purity is so much important. If you're not pure, you'll be depressed. You know you're wrong. Your love is not direction. You're catering to yourself. Those gifts are for marriage and children, not for your self-enjoyment. As soon as you do that, you come to depression. And you have to say you're at the confession and plead with God. He's not left you. He is not disappointed in you. He knows what you are. But you have to go to him and ask for forgiveness, especially a good confession. And people just don't give me that shopping list when you went down to Kmart or someplace when you come to confession. Examine your conscience so you know what virtue you violated and what you did. It's not a quiz show. I'm not going to quiz you. But most of you, your confession is pitiful, and I know what you're going to say already. So, we should prepare for confession, meditating in our heart and the love of Christ, and how we are living an ascetical life. Obviously, you're going to sin if you're not living an ascetical life. Especially married people. The monastery, we watch each other carefully, and we know. You can't. Married people, they get grumpy. They might not even be grumpy with each other, but they're grumpy with themselves because they didn't do the right thing. But the other partner has to suffer through that. Never correct your children if you're grumpy. Sometimes we're grumpy, especially men, because things at work are not going well. Don't come home and take that out on your family. I remember when I was studying marriage and the family in the seminary. Oh, it was a boring course. It took four years to get through it, but they taught me a lot. And one of the things they taught me is to be, not to come home grumpy and bring your grumpiness from work into the house. The house must be a cheerful place of love and understanding and consolation for both the man and the wife. The monastic life is a consolation from God for the monk, as long as he's living it well, as beautifully. These Gospels we read to you today are about beauty. They're about living close with Christ. About, yes, laws for those who need them. But the one who lives in a state of grace, 
is being deified. God is accomplishing his work in him. And so in his meditation, the first thing he should do is recall who is in his inmost being. It is the divine energies that come from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I know some say, Father, we don't have much time for that. You monks get all day to do that. We're pretty busy, <laughs> but we have to make time. The monk has to make time. You have to make time. We pray about seven hours a day. Sometimes that prayer is better quality prayer than other times because the monk by his disposition of soul is prepared for prayer. But even a bad prayer is better than no prayer at all. And all prayer is good. But prayer is the breath of the soul. And you're working to gain a beautiful place in heaven. And you will be dressed in white and gold. And you'll have crowns on your heads. And you'll be ecstatic in your life. Because as a pilgrim, you prepared the journey to your heavenly home. Sometimes the children are subjected to terrible things in school, like agnosticism, etc. You know what that really means in Greek? It means they don't know God. Once we know God, we are happy or depressed. If we're good, we're happy. If we're depressed, we're unhappy. It's just like the young man. He found this beautiful woman. She's gorgeous. Drop dead beautiful. And he wants to marry her, but she says no. She's unhappy. He can't understand why he's not acceptable. Maybe God has a different plan for him that will make him happy. Not without challenges, not without penance, not without the deifying graces. It's all those things bring happiness to the world. I remember on occasion when I was in New York, I went to a house where somebody had died. And there they were laying on the floor. I looked around the house. They had all sorts of things they had collected. And now what are they going to do with them? Somebody has to come in and get rid of all that junk. The most important ornaments of a home are the icons where we pray, the beauty of the food we eat, and we take time as a temple, uh, a temple community, a family, to eat together, and the time we give to each other. Of course, family prayer.
detonates the home beautifully. And we should be sensitive to the other people in the family when they're upset. You probably know why. And maybe that day they don't have much time for you. With a mature person in Christ, he knows what will make him happy. So I was, when I was teaching in the university, uh, many times we get all excited about sports, things like that. Of course, I never cared for sports. So I'm never part of that. But I did like a few things. I liked quick things like, uh, you know, hockey or things like that where it's moving. I could never understand baseball because half the time they're standing there figuring out what they're going to do or something. And that's a wonderful sport. And people take the time away from church and everything to go see these sports. I think it's okay if it's a family gathering. But otherwise, you're spinning your wheels. I once had a couple came to me for counseling, and they were having difficulty because they didn't know how to manage their time. So I watched them for a while. I said, why don't you plant a garden together? I don't think they needed food. I think they needed time together in a cooperative effort. Life is an effort to cooperate with God's plan of salvation. As we do that, we're happier. And if we do not do it, we feel like a failure. All other things in life are temporary, like life itself. So you must live for eternity. I think it was Pius X said that we live we live with our eyes on, on where we're going. Because everything else is temporary. It's good to be a good provider, but it's better to be a spiritual example with being a provider a patient example, a prayerful example for all of us. So to do it together, we can make a very comfortable journey without fear to the heavenly kingdom. Name the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.